We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sundance TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined in person, if not live, for the listeners. By Simon Howell. Simon, thanks for uh, being in Chicago this week. How's it treating you? Yeah, well, I mean, I had like a 23-hour bus ride, but this the vicinity itself is quite lovely. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Good times. Uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're going to be putting the show out a little earlier than normal this week so that we can go see the sights. We're going to do our best Ferris Bueller. We'll see what happens. But uh, You're going to do your best Ferris Bueller. I'm going to do the best Alan Ruck I can. <laughs> Good times. Uh, so without further ado, let's just get into it. Uh, we had a few nice comments and tweets and everything. Thanks to you guys as ever. It's always so much fun to talk to you about uh, you know how you guys feel about the week's TV. Last week, particularly, we heard from Dan, who enjoyed the interview that I was able to do with Kevin Chapman from Person of Interest. And thank you, Dan. It was great to hear about hear that. And he's going to check out the show. So let us know what you think of it. Uh, you know, because apparently he'd gotten away from it a little bit, so he's going to you know dip back in and see what he thinks and i know that for a lot of our listeners it's one of their favorite shows so we're curious to see if if it's improved uh in your estimation so that such that you'll keep checking in or if it's just not for you you know let us know what you think um also at sound on site it's almost here oscars are going to be what next week this coming sunday yes this coming sunday so uh, as the build up to that you know increases will be just a few more articles at the site daddy wants a new condo is all i have to say <laughs> i want that my ship's got to come in this year come on <laughs> good times uh so so you can check that out at sunset.org and later in the show we're going to talk with michael rice from the opera now podcast about faulty towers which was pretty awesome it was a lot of fun to, to do that so that's coming at the end of the show but let's just get into our week in tv what do you say yeah i feel like there was it was a weird week there was yeah. it started strong and then there ended up being a lot of mediocrity but I, I think it was still better than last week. Okay, yeah. There's a well. Let's let's start off with Tuesday and New Girl Valentine's Day. I feel like I can only handle one sort of middle of the road network comedy at a time. I'm not sure whether I already said this last week or not, but I I, I feel like <laughs> now this week really solidified the fact that for me the middle of the road network comedy of choice is New Girl, which I wouldn't have expected just a couple weeks earlier, but I, I thought it was a really solid installment. It didn't hurt that they had Clark Duke on hand, and he just knocked it out of the park, I thought. I, see, I had a lot of fun with Ryan Quantin this week, uh, who was, of course, the uh, the completely uninteresting guy that Jess was, was going to go out with. He's so much fun playing uh, dumb. It's, yeah, he's it's, great. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do, and uh, this character's dumb was different <laughs> Then Jason's dumb on True Blood, which of course is the role Ryan Quantin is better known for. Uh, but yeah, I liked the CC and Schmidt thing, and I liked that 
Nick and Lizzie, oh, Julia, Julia, uh, yeah. Lizzie Kaplan's character. That went a different way than I expected at the end. So yes, that was nice. It was nice. So yeah, they're doing a pretty good job. Everything kind of worked. Yeah, kind of, kind of worked. And then of course on Tuesday there was also the premiere, the much hyped premiere of Cougar Town. Now, uh, had you seen much Cougar Town before? I've not never seen one iota of Cougar Town before. So this is my first experience with Cougar Town. And. It's okay. I mean, I the the thing about it is, if you're a new viewer, you're watching it, and you can just tell it's so precious and it's so like, it's so into itself, <laughs> it's so into its characters that you just know, like, okay, if I had gotten into this two seasons ago, I would probably be really happy right now. But you know, it goes for this big emotional moment that, like, if you're watching the show regularly, I'm sure it's very effective. And for me, it was just kind of like, okay, I guess this is happening now. Yeah, the, the, the climax of the episode is something that's been a couple seasons, you know, in counting. It's definitely something they've built to and well. So I had fun with the show. For me, it it may sound like I'm damning it with faint praise, but it's a pleasant, pleasant pleasurable show to watch. It's just kind of fun to hang out mm-hmm. with these characters in a not dissimilar way to, to Parks and Rec for me, though uh, that's, I would say, Parks and Rec is more consistently laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. But I just like spending time with these characters, so it was nice to have them back. And I I look forward to lots of silly gags with the green screen and with Travis and Travis Jr. Or Travis 2, do you remember the dog's name? I don't remember. I know it's, I think they're both, the dog's also named Travis. I just don't remember if there's an, you know, an ending to the name. Anyways, uh... I, I thought they handled the proposal well. I liked the 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 thing about uh, Jules being predictable, but that being okay. Um, and I I particularly thought they handled Bobby well because you might not really Bobby's her ex husband, right? Yeah, Travis's uh, dad, and he's you know as even as of last season was in love with Jules still. So mm-hmm. I think considering that they you could kind of see that in their their blocking of the very end he was kind of off by himself like running around being a crazy person but slightly distanced from the center couple so i thought that was Mm -hmm. interesting and i don't know maybe i'm giving it too much credit but maybe i i think also for me the cougar town premiere is coming at a bad time because i feel like there's such a glut of hangout comedies right now Mm -hmm. like just shows I, i you mentioned parks and rec but actually i think for me parks and rec is sort of to the side because it is somewhat plot oriented Mm mm-hmm just based on, you know, its setting and its, the fact that it's somewhat high concept. I mean, between Cougar Town and How I Met Your Mother and Happy Endings and New Girl, it's really just shows about friends hanging out. I mean, mm-hmm. there's other stuff going on, but really that's kind of it. Yeah. And, you know, it's fun and all. I get it. But it's sometimes I just need a little more. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we'll see. I, I plan to keep checking in on it. Do you think you will, or do you think you're just going to kind of wait to hear if there's a particularly good episode? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I'm not part of the cult of Cougar Town, so I mean, <laughs> although, you know, the, the thing in the intro is cute. <laughs> good times. Um, next, we had Suburgatory. Uh, I'm, I think, I'm not, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm going to break up with the show, but I've kind of run out of new things to say about it for now. Um, I liked the, the turn in this episode about... Tessa realizing that she was just being lazy and her crusade against gym class wasn't actually about that. It was just about her not wanting to have to do gym because she's terrible at it. So I like that at the end. Um, it was just kind of a meh episode. There wasn't, uh, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but even a couple days later, I had trouble remembering exactly what had happened outside of the main plot. So, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Um, the, the, this was the body. Uh, we'll see. I think I'll just kind of hold off on that one and I guess check in when there's a particularly memorable, memorable episode. I, I still like the ensemble, but it hasn't risen. And of course, yeah. I'm several weeks behind you in this, you know, assessment. Yeah, but. fair enough. And then there was also uh, happy endings. Everybody loves Grant, and uh, I was just I when I was watching this, the main thing I kept thinking was Simon's gonna hate this episode. <laughs> and yeah, you're you are not incorrect. The hive mind strikes again because the thing about happy endings, as you know, that always bothers me is when they resort to nonstop mugging. And this episode may have been the worst offender yet. I think actually my happy endings experiment may be coming to an end. Ah, I think I think that that I'll see how I feel next week. But for now, I was just I was really annoyed with this episode. I felt really bad for Lone Star Guy. <laughs> that I'm sorry I can't remember your name, Lone Star Guy, but you were great on that one show, Lone Star. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It just did nothing for me. I I barely chuckled, especially compared to New Girl this week. Not working for me. Yeah, I um. I could see what they were doing, what they were going for with the with the escalation of the crazy around Grant, but it was just there. Everybody was too big, and except, and except for Dave. But that Dave really hasn't been working for me for most of the yeah. season, so he didn't. Really I, I work think you're to right that they've it. been they've been pushing his lameness to to the limit lately. Yeah, I think they. I mean, and if it was funnier, I would be okay with it, I guess. And mm-hmm. if 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 that had served to to cut some of the other zaniness that was going on, I think maybe. But it just added more zaniness. But it just yeah. did, it didn't really work for me. So um, I still I think I'm still more invested in the show than you are. Uh, but yeah, I we'll see. Hopefully after this, Grant will still be around for a while, and uh, there but there will be less of all this craziness. So we'll that would see. be nice. That'd be nice. Then after that is Top Chef Texas, which was technically the first part of the finale I this guess. is the finale that never finales <laughs> what did you think of the the olympic inspired uh, challenge well on the plus side they got rid of beverly so i guess i'm happy in that sense because we got to see her leave again on the other side of things i mean it was did, did anyone do any cooking in this episode i don't remember i just remember shooting and slaloming and gazebos snow gazebos and, like, yeah, gondolas actually, not, yeah, not sorry. gazebos. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I remember that from being on one in Telluride. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It was just so, so high, so much gimmickry, so little focus on craft. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm watching at this point. Mm. Now, for me, I, that's funny. For me, uh, I guess it's just because I don't actually care about this season anymore. <laughs> You've so... just given up. You just like throw I my hands up. Whatever. I don't... I like the when the pretty things move and the shooting and the <laughs> the the annoying one is gone. Well, I just I've because I've been so frustrated by a lot of the editing, I don't have a particularly strong opinion on any of their cooking abilities. And so I don't I'm not rooting for any one particular to win. So a crazy challenge was fun for me. Watching them <laughs> like going ah with their ice picks was kind of hilarious and i thought the gondola or because yeah the gondola challenge i can't believe i went back to gazebo there for a moment the gondola challenge was entertaining and an interesting uh challenge to throw at them what was interesting about it they were just on a moving platform they couldn't they could barely move around it was a tiny how does that prove what they can cook more than halfway uh, more than halfway or exactly halfway back i guess they were given a new key ingredient so it's just it's just like 
one of the other elimination challenges, except they can't really move. They can't really move. They have a stove. They have a hot plate and a pan. I, I just, I, think I just don't see what purpose it serves. Well, it's none like, of it serves any purpose. I don't care about these people. It, it just, so. it, it just feels like, it feels like it's some some thesis statement about banality, and it's. It's trying to prove something to us by just making these people run through motions and then judging them arbitrarily. It's just, it's become like a, a weird circle of hell where Tom Colicchio <laughs> is the ringmaster. I don't like it. Well, I want I, it to be over. Perhaps it's just because I have, uh, I, they tend to leave people alone in the final the final challenge where they're cooking for their, the you know, who's going to win. So maybe it was just I'm giving them more the benefit of the doubt that that won't be you happening see, You think this will be the end of the wackiness? In theory, it should be. If it's not, then, I mean, come on. Come on, guys. But uh, we're going to talk about some better reality later in the show yeah. when we get to Amazing Race. So um, for now, I mean, do you have – we talked about this last week. I don't think any, either of us care who wins. No, I would like it to be Paul, I guess, because yeah. he seems like the most reasonable. But but that's about it. Yeah. I, I just don't want Tom Colicchio to win. <laughs> I think he – does he always win or never win? Um, I think he – always wins i think he always wins um next on thursday we had 30 rock the tuxedo begins uh a more high concept uh very high yeah which actually in which actually in contrast to the hangout comedies was for me quite nice uh on one hand i mean the major i would say concept of the episode the whole like batman and the joker thing was weird and strained and dated yeah uh, that didn't work for me at all. I mean, Tina Fey's makeup is kind of funny the first time around, and then it's like, okay, come on, I get it. You're pretending to be uglier than you are, and you find this hilarious. And yeah. for us, it kind of stops being funny after two minutes. Mm. Uh, but I actually really liked the Jenna Maroney Will Forte mm. plot with the with the normaling. Yeah, I thought that was actually quite funny. Probably the funniest thing I've seen on this season so far. See, for me, I think the single funniest gag of the episode was Steve Buscemi's uh, music band shirt when he was under yeah 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 that was that was great in the high school just the i mean they brought him back for such a, a brief moment but it was still pretty fun for me yeah that was pretty great you're right um as for the batman thing it didn't work for me either i i didn't think it was very it just felt very strange and not funny enough to really i think it was just someone said you know what alec baldwin should be batman and then it just kind of went from there yeah, it was like this weird Occupy Wall Street, Alec Baldwin's run for mayor, Batman. So the lights, yeah. did you let's do all these things because we hadn't done those things before. Yeah, and then, I mean, I, I will say that the music in the episode was really good. I loved yeah. the sort of Batman animated series kind of inspired mm -hmm. uh, music going on underneath it all. But uh, no, just for me, that was, wasn't very uh, successful. I was less interested in the normally than you were, but still, I, I was entertained. Yeah, so, there know, you go. I, I we're such curmudgeons this week. I don't know why. <laughs> speaking of bit. speaking of curmudgeons, Louis C.K. showed up on Thirty Rock for I what I assume will be the last time because I think he probably has enough on his plate. Yeah, I don't know. With... We we love Parks and Rec. We love Louis C.K. So clearly, peanut butter in my chocolate. This was a good thing, right? It was an all right thing. I mean, the thing is, the original officer Dave run is like smack dab in the middle of a great season of TV and it's a great run of episodes. Right now this is coming in this in smack dab in the middle of a pretty good season of TV and this is a pretty okay episode. I mean <laughs> I think what will one thing we'll probably both agree on is I I think between this appearance and the last I think Officer Dave uh, lost something. I don't know if it's if it's a matter of writing or if it's actually Louis CK's fault. 
I don't want to blame him for stuff. I don't know. It feels <laughs> wrong. But I just, I felt like they overplayed how stammery and awkward he is, mm. like, right right away. Like, he just, something felt off about the performance. Uh, like, like, like they've made him a slightly even more cartoonish version of what he already was. Whereas before he was very charming and, and he was a character you really rooted for, but now we're sort of not allowed to root for him because he's not Adam Scott. So mm. they do something easier with him and that wasn't so much fun. Yeah. And I, I wish I could give the credit to the writers of it, it being the notion of it's through her perspective. So when they were starting to date, she saw the same behavior and language as really charming and interesting you're overthinking it and now that they're now that she's with ben she he comes across like an idiot but that's not what it is no uh so i think that was my biggest problem with the episode that i i also really liked officer dave the first time around i thought it was interesting and so I, the tag at the very end of the episode with the Ben in the bathroom when Dave comes up, that's what Officer Dave felt like to mm -hmm. me from before. So everything else before that just... Not so much the handcuffing? No. Well, I mean, that was that was funny for me. But anytime yeah. he, he talked, his syntax... Yeah. It was yeah it was, it was a little too much. It was a little too much. But I think the rest of the episode was fine. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I just anytime you stick Ben with uh, Chief Trumbull, that yes. works for me. Anytime you bring up Duke Silver. Yeah, Duke that's Silver. That's got to work. Yeah, absolutely. And then what, where are we with Ann and Tom? Uh, I mean, I think I think that the show's being very canny about that, where we're all at home, we're all kind of like, eh, and Anne's kind of like, eh, <laughs> but Tom's just really, really going for it. And I, I think it's, I think it's working in terms of laughs. I mean, I don't really know where it's headed or if they feel like they can pull that off seriously. And I don't know if we're supposed to know. And that's maybe where mm -hmm. we're, I think they probably have us right where they want us. Yeah. We'll have to see where, where it goes from here. Uh, but, oh, I <laughs> When we were talking about Duke Silver, yes, Duke Silver is great, but even more fun than Duke Silver was April handling all the Duke yes, Silver. Yes, that was great. Yes. I really have enjoyed April this season. I think she might be my star player. She might be most improved, yeah. 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 Le the least sort of, yeah, going from sort of a one-note character to a not so much a one-note character. Absolutely. Now, next we had Archer. We've pretty much been on the same page so far, but I think we're going to break a little here is Los Scandalo is the episode. Yeah, I really dug this. I don't know what your problem is. Uh, I mean, <laughs> basically we had a murder mystery that wasn't really a murder mystery. Uh, I mean, the, the thing about Archer is it tries to do an insane amount of stuff in 21 minutes, which, you know, sometimes doesn't pull all those things off, but I think this one did a reasonably good job. I mean, you're, you have to set up this insanely disgusting murder mystery <laughs> In Mallory's apartment involving the Italian prime minister, who is clearly a thinly veiled, you know, version of Berlusconi mm -hmm. based on his proclivities. Mm -hmm. And you also, you know, you have to somehow really half-assedly get the entire office in the apartment because that's the that's sort of show this do. is, <laughs> which I thought was great. And um, then you have that ridiculous over-the-top dinner party. And then you have that super dark reveal at the end. I don't know. Everything about this pretty much worked for me. I, I felt like it was a series of moments, very few of which were that successful. And don't get me wrong, Arch, any Archer is still, you know, good. It's good television. But I think this is probably probably my least favorite episode of the series. Whoa, that's harsh. Just, it just I, I definitely preferred it to last week. It just wasn't that funny. Last week was way funnier. I don't think that's I'm, true. Interesting. Now, the... Uh, I mean, I, I, maybe it's just because so much of it felt so... Uh, I kept waiting for something to happen. 
and everything that did happen felt incredibly predictable and uh and i mean i don't know i just kept waiting for it to kick into gear and i didn't ever felt like it did you didn't even like krieger pulling a breaking bad in the tub i mean i thought it I, it it just made sense and so it just was too okay well they haven't brought krieger in and he'll you the, know the many the, the many potato famine jokes come on what is this Christmas? Yeah, I enjoy the tiny Tim. I will say, uh, figure from the of the landlord's son. I mm-hmm. guess uh, you know. There's not to say there weren't things that I enjoyed, but on a whole, you know. All right, Miss Curmudgeon. Fine. So <laughs> you get to talk about Vampire Diaries, and I get to now. Normally, I just you know turn, take my headphones off, but this time I actually have to leave the room. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna pause a moment. Okay, Simon is out of earshot. This week, the Vampire Diaries episode, All My Children, uh, was a lot of fun, and I loved that more than anything else, I could, I had no idea what was going to happen. It could have legitimately gone either way in the the, con- the confrontation at the, the height of the episode, and the Vampire Diaries has really done its work in, set, in laying the groundwork for, for that to be plausible and over the years over over the past three seasons they've really gone there so frequently that when they don't here when when they the the team i guess is unsuccessful it, it's actually a surprise so i actually i had a lot of fun with that and we'll see i i, I would like for esther and the other originals to stick around a bit it's it feels a little anticlimactic to have only really two episodes with them all together before sending them to points unknown. But for now, I think I'll be uh, content with just watching Rebecca and Klaus deal with this white oak uh, situation, which I think is could be interesting. Um, the, the other main thing that I really liked about this episode was that it was great to see Stefan and Damon actually be acting like brothers and not just be, uh, be motivated by Elena. And before Elena and before Catherine, they were brothers who had a close relationship and really cared about each other. And I think they've gotten away from that dynamic a bit too much. So it was nice to see it come back. Hopefully it'll stick around for a bit and we'll get to, to, to explore that relationship. But for now, I really like it. And, oh, the the, the cliffhanger with uh, Meredith Bell. I mean, poor Rick. He really does have the worst, worst luck with women. Um <laughs> We'll see. I th- thought that reveal was well handled, and we'll see where it goes. But it's good. the Vampire Diaries is going to be off the air for the next, or it's going to be in repeats, I should say, for the next several weeks. And uh, and I can't wait to see, you know, once it comes back in March, what they're going to do with all these different threads. So, uh, good work, Vampire Diaries. Keep it up. And if you have, uh, if you're curious about my my more complete thoughts, I have I do have a review of this up at townofsite.org, so you can check it out there. Now I will go get Simon. And Simon? Yes. You're back. I am. You may remain unspoiled. I think so. Excellent. So now let's move on to I I always forget about this. Now I we talk vampire I talk vampire diaries uh, and you leave you leave the room or take off the headphones and then I get you back here so that you can listen to me talk about another show you don't watch. Which you can spoil the hell out of and I don't care. Absolutely. This was Repo Man on Supernatural, which was of course I also have a review for this up on soundinsight.org. This was a fun episode because it was first of all it was written by Benton Edlund, who you you know as the creator of the tick. He wrote Janestown and Firefly. He also wrote some of the best episodes, the funniest episodes of Supernatural and Angel. You're going to get to one of them in the last season. It's pretty awesome. I'll just say 
it is one of my two favorite vampire puppet episodes. The other one being Middleman. Okay. So Ben Edlund is, is very known for his for his comedic chops, but this week what I really appreciate about this episode is that it was the most straight up horror episode that they've done in probably the past two years. They they've gotten away from demons and possession on the show, you know, which is probably good because they, that was a recurring threat over much of the early early seasons. Um, but this week it was just it was nice to see a human um, antagonist and to see just old school you know demonic possession on <laughs> which is something you know it's not as epic scale as the the arc that they've been doing this season which has been you know less successful in my opinion so to just see them bring it back to something that the characters are familiar with and the viewers are familiar with and, and to just make it simple again. Um, was something I appreciated. Plus, they they've even when they've had some scares, it's been couched by humor, and there's very little. They don't allow the audience that release in the episode for the most part. So it felt very much like old school supernatural. So it was nice to see. Then after that, on or on actually at the same time across the on the other networks, one of the other networks we had Fringe, a better human being. What now, did you think? We spotlighted Fringe last week, didn't we? Uh, we did. We spotlit. I we should spotlit. say. Spotlit. Yeah, so it's not in the spotlight section this week. I thought this was okay. I mean, I the, the what's shocking about Fringe for me this week is that last week was such a memorable outing. It was so distinctive and actually contributed to the master plot while still being you know on it on its own a very standout twilight zoney episode this week felt was much more hewed to the master plot and did i mean it was fine i remember so little of it is the <laughs> what's weird about it for me well there was the hive of course there was the guy who had been tinkering with uh, the DNA of, of IVF patients, the fetus. Right, but didn't this feel very familiar? Like, didn't that did... this story has been done a million times before? Right, it's, and it... and specifically on this show. I don't. I've, they've definitely done maybe not IVF. They've done... not specifically IVF, but just the the whole arc of having someone who's responsible for this person who's got a psychic link with other people. Like, it, it seems like they've manifested this particular idea like five or six different ways. Interesting. I'm not remembering that, but you know, you could it could be. It could, you know, it's been a while since I caught I watched the other seasons. Um, then, of course, for me, what I I really enjoyed a lot of the technical elements of the episode. I really liked the the direction. Um, I, there's a, a nice, and I mentioned this in my review at Sound on Sight. There's a nice floating quality to the camera whenever mm -hmm. we're within the one guy's mind, hearing the voices. There's uh, I really like the way they intersperse Olivia's memories which are of course all clips from the pilot which was nice to see that full circle right yeah um i thought that that would that was put in really well and seamlessly to to still follow what was going on around everybody else but to show us her mind and i also really enjoyed the performance of anna torv just this olivia was a different olivia she was olivia who felt like she was whole and mm -hmm. just sort of at peace in a way that we i don't think we've ever really seen that character now, yeah. I don't know if that fits with where the character's going or if yeah. it'll just be a one-off. But... And, and I did like Joshua Jackson being in this awkward position of like, okay, so this is nice, but it's not exactly correct. Like, sorry. <laughs> and I also like that they meant, they did, you know, spend the, the one line of dialogue to say, I did cheat on my Olivia with someone who looked just like her in the past. So <laughs> I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do that again, <laughs> but I will. 
<laughs> that is an awkward sentiment to get out there. Now, what did you think of... I was also very impressed with Blair Brown, who's Nina this week, because if I hadn't seen a couple weeks back when she knocked Olivia out and injected her with Cordexaban, I would have believed her. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going... I, I, in general, I feel like they've sort of done a, a subpar job of letting us know who Nina Sharp is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could just be I could just be misremembering the series, but I feel like she's a bit too enigmatic, really, for me to care too much about. I mean, Blair Brown is fine, mm-hmm. but I feel like, you know, having her strapped to a chair, to me, is not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens with it. I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost kind of expecting, like, the other universe's Nina to be running around on this in and in, in the the regular side the original side i guess mm-hmm. of things and that's why and that's why there's such a disparity between her seeming care for olivia and you know injecting her with stuff that would make a lot of sense but i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens uh that's another series that's taking several weeks off and uh we'll, we'll uh see what happens when it comes back mm-hmm. then after fringe we had the finale to the fades now we strongly considered putting this in the spotlight this yeah week. as far as i'm concerned there were three spotlight contenders this week mm-hmm. and we got another one coming up later on this weekend but first up was the fades the final episode of i mean what what could turn out to be the only season and i think we'd be okay with that mm-hmm. not in a not in a negative way just you know this was a satisfying pretty kick-ass finale uh very violent very dark uh very nicely ambiguous yeah like i think what's I think that's what's nice about the whole series, really, is it's content to explain up to a certain point, and then after that, it's sort of up to you to divine just what the hell is going on, how the pieces fit, if the pieces fit. Yeah. And, you know, so many shows get so caught up in getting so specific about their mythology and making sure they don't have any holes and then wind up having tons (laughs) just by worrying too much. And here, they just kind of threw out the rule book and just we're like, okay, guys, we're just going to luxuriate in the atmosphere and these these bizarre sort of systems of characters and hey we're going to end it with what might be the apocalypse we don't really know <laughs> tune in next season if it exists i really dug this well and you know a lot of the things that i liked in this well were of course i mean they they go there they kill off a character in a rather dramatic fashion mm-hmm. but more than anything else it was the way that it tied the whole piece together i loved that it was something we, i talked about with you on on skype earlier before you were in chicago mm-hmm. i loved that the ash was actual ash it was a building crumbling and so that, yeah you know so from the visions it wasn't some post-apocalyptic world it was a concrete ceiling had mm. exploded which which sounds cheap when you say it like this <laughs> but actually it's it's it's, it's I, so I love better than some foreboding yeah, um, yeah. but I, I love the way that it still is foreboding and ominous but i i love the way that everyone interprets it the same way because it looks that's pretty much what it looks like <laughs> and then it's it, it, you believe that people would interpret it that way and and then but i but i also like that you know we get a fake apocalypse and then maybe we get a real one like we don't we really don't know i mean just everything i i just love that ending for some reason it really worked for me well and just as a whole the fact that and it's something i mentioned last week as well but that clearly neil doesn't necessarily have the right answers and that's yeah. not something that other stories in this genre really do they're like the 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 young teenage chosen one who has to find a new way uh, there usually there's a wise older mentor figure mm-hmm. which neil seemed very strongly to be falling right. into and so then to have such a strong statement of 
that's not what this story is. And it, yeah, and it's not like he finds some other mentor. I mean, he has allies, but mm-hmm. none of them really tell him what to do. I mean, he kind of just figures it out on his own, and that's great. And I also think what happens with Neil in this episode and the previous episode kind of redeems his mm-hmm. stuff in the earlier episodes as well, because I mean, w- w- I think what the frustration with him early on is is you have trouble figuring out how he's this. You're trying to make him fit into this mentor role, and. Yeah. The show is kind of trying to tell you that it's not going to work. It's not going to go there. <laughs> so I, I, I actually wouldn't mind rewatching those early episodes and seeing Neil's arc play out because I did think that was very satisfying as well. Now, my final question about the fades for you is when we did our Sound on Sight end of the year best of 2011 poll, Ricky had this as one of his top 10 series of 2011. If you had seen this, would it have made your list? don't know i hate lists i think i'm on the record as hating lists (laughs) you are i think if it had been there i mean it would have been in like the bottom like Mm -hmm. the lower regions it might have snuck in there but Mm -hmm. it'd be it'd be close like i could imagine it sticking around the 10 spot or like yeah kicking around in there because it does have an it does have an underdog quality that i do enjoy as i recall you had eight was good wife nine was parks and rec I don't remember what 10 was. I can't believe you remember the specifics of my oh, list. That is so well, creepy. Well, because 8 was the only one we agreed on. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a good wife. Anyways, uh, for me, I don't know that it makes my top 10, but it's in the conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of my feeling. And that's yeah. I, that's high praise because you know, if, you, if you're interested, you can go back and listen to our Best of 2011 podcast where we kind of, of the uh, 10, of the we each had a top 10 and there were 11 different shows. So we just kind of. Yeah, it was pretty sad. Um, uh, but yeah, there's there a lot of really good shows there. So to have this be, you know, in that yeah. conversation is, I think. Yeah, and I, I would like to see it get a second season just because I'm curious. I feel like if they were smart enough to write this season, I'm, yeah. I'd am i like to know where they think it where should go, go from here. Yeah, and, you know, they could also, they could always jump forward some time or something. They, you know, they're not limited by the way it ends if they don't want to be, so. No, not really. Yeah. Um. Next we have, or I have, An Idiot Abroad where <laughs> Carl goes to meet a gorilla in its natural habitat, which takes him to Africa. Uh, he builds uh, huts and does charity, uh, some charity work there, and uh, or I think it's a shed or something like that. Um, but the most entertaining part of the episode is that uh, Gervais gets him on the phone because he didn't sky, he didn't bungee jump the first time, mm-hmm. uh, and says, "If you bungee jump from this spot, I will," uh, which is a you know renowned bungee jumping spot and where he's traveling through. I will buy, I will donate the money for, you know, for a hut to be made. And he's like, I'll just do that. So he gets, he finally works it up to five, which is 2,500 pounds, as I understand, uh, stand it. And, and so he's like, oh, well, I got to do it, right? Except that he can't. And so he calls Ricky up and says that he did it when he didn't. And he gets one <laughs> of the camera guys to, to bungee, except that his head, head his, um, his hat fell off, so you could see that he had hair, so it wasn't the same guy. It was, it was there was this whole. It was hilarious to watch, just because eventually he does. You know, he's clearly feeling guilty about it, and he does confess by the end. But it, it was a fun through line of it. Um, watching Carl go on a twelve-hour bus ride that he's told is not that long, uh, to go find the gorillas, to walk several miles, uh, several hours, sorry, each way to try to find them to to sit very quietly about, you know, what a, a half of the size of a room or whatever away from them, so a couple trees away from them, and be really nervous. I don't know. I'm, I'm still loving An Idiot Abroad, but uh, 
but but there's some nice there just the, the the back and forth with Ricky and Carl about the the charity donation and Carl giving Ricky some crap for mm-hmm. once was was nice. Maybe since you're talking about an Adidas broad, it would make the most sense to segue right into life's too short. Life's too short. Yeah, let's go. Let's go right into that one. Now, this has been much maligned. The pilot, at least uh, in in most of the press that I've read. Most yeah, of and and I think the first season in general just got a real bashing in Britain. And the thing with me is I was reluctant to to say, okay, well, people are saying it's bad because it's bad. I feel like at this point, Ricky Gervais is so overexposed, especially in Britain, I have to imagine, Mm -hmm. that I feel like no matter what he put out, I feel everyone would just naturally say, oh, it's diminishing returns. It's not as good as extras, which wasn't as good as The Office, blah, 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 blah. But this is really, really bad. Uh, (laughs) Holy crap, this is bad. Um, Wow. This is just like a really strange roundabout. It seems like, like... Merchant, I think I feel like their intentions on some level were good, but I feel like what they wound up with was just the most roundabout way to make it seem like they're not making fun of little people while making fun of little people. That's how it feels to me. Okay, and and you're not alone in that. There are many people who agree with you. Okay, just I'm just checking. No, no, no. You're yeah, you're you're fine. I mean, I I could see what. You know, like in in gags like him falling out of his truck and stuff, which I had heard discussed before seeing the 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 show. When I saw it, I I did see the 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 Gervais and Merchant line about oh, the comedy isn't that he's falling out of the truck. The comedy is that he's the kind of idiot who would buy that truck a truck that he w- was going to fall out of, anyways. Uh, that the, that it's in his his approach or whatever. And I I do see that. I just think it's not very funny. I think it's yeah. I think it's not very funny, but I also think that that I don't feel like that that logic, which it sounds, it makes sense when you say it, but it doesn't come through in the show. It okay. just it feels like a like especially when they start bringing in like other little people to make fun of. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it 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 feels gross and and wrong in in just in an in a way that they weren't really planning on. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like it's sad that the funniest part of the episode is basically an extras outtake yeah. where Liam Neeson shows up and tries on stand up comedy. And it is funny and props to Neeson for pulling it off, but it, it's a totally shoehorned and B it has no, it had the fact that it's the funniest thing in, in the episode. It has nothing to do with the central concept of the show. Mm-hmm. I think says volumes. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, the 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 most disappointing thing is that I enjoy Warwick Davis in this as performance. He's trying; he's not given any good material to work with. But I would be interested in seeing him in a weekly TV show. Why can't yeah. you know? Or I think he has the potential to be very entertaining. Yeah, if but only he's, he's given some material. It's not, and it's not just the material. The style is so lazy. Like it's supposed mm-hmm. to be a mock doc, and it's so half-assed. Like, yeah. oh, here's so and so. Yeah. Oh, here's so and like it. They're not even trying at this point because because at this point they know that you know that it's yeah. fake all the time, even more so than before. So they're not even going for any kind of verisimilitude. <laughs> so it's like, what's the point? Just make a fictional series with Warwick Davis as an actor or whatever, mm-hmm. as anything, yeah. as his Willow character. I don't know, <laughs> just anything but this. Yeah. Um. Let's let's go now to the season premiere of Eastbound and Down, which uh. So it was third season, which is the the final season, mm-hmm. they've said. Now, I, I hadn't seen any of the show. I tried out the first couple episodes of the first season, didn't find it funny, so didn't really have high hopes for the, the, the season three premiere, but found myself 
actually laughing and having a good time with it. So I was pretty surprised. What's your problem? (laughs) What I don't really get is why you would like this episode, but not others. Because, like, to me, the whole show is really of a piece, not just with itself, uh, but also with, I mean, the show's co-created by Jody Hill, who I think directed this episode as well, or at least wrote it. Um, who all, he, he also did the foot fist way and observe and report. And these, the, the, these films and this show all sort of share this very diseased view of America. And here that diseased view is represented by Danny McBride, who is, I think the ideal vessel for that kind of humor, because he's just so crass and so self possessed and just so absolutely shameless. Mm-hmm. And I think the the second half of the first season is is awesome. I think it just goes it it really kicks up a notch when something happens to Craig Robinson's face. Um, and the second season I thought was pretty solid, but generally didn't reach the highs of the third. This first this third season premiere I thought was also pretty solid. I I, I think uh, there's a lot of promise in the in the setting. I lo- I love that they're ending it. I mean, I feel they probably don't have a choice because there's so many high profile people involved, mm-hmm. but I like that they, 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 I guess they're bringing back John Hawks in a more permanent position than they had him in season two, which is probably a good idea. I just really dug this. I love Jason Sudeikis in this also as, uh, as his new pal, who's basically adopted his hairstyle and clothes. Well, and for me, that's the big difference between the first two episodes that I watched and this, because I think the, what's the character's name again? Kenny... Kenny Powers. Kenny Powers. Kenny fucking Powers, actually, I believe his name is. I, he works better when he has someone else to, to go off of. So whether it's the the, the guy, the, the bartender in the first or second episode that he's snoring coke with, mm-hmm. or, or Jason Sudeikis in this, he works better when it's not just him surrounded by people, by, by a bunch of idiots. Well, I think there's he, somebody he, who's buying into what he's saying. Well, he he has Steve Little in the first two seasons, which is who is a very different sort of sidekick from from this Jason Sudeikis. Stevie. Yeah. Yeah, I it didn't didn't work for me, but I don't know. The just the first couple episodes, at least. Yeah, I, fair enough. I, I I think you should give it another try. I didn't Maybe. laugh. That's that's it that's weird. Annoying. Well, and also this in this episode, the I can't remember the character's name. The the girlfriend. Yeah, Katie Mixon. Yeah. Yeah, just goes full out crazy yeah which was great and it that that works for me mm-hmm. her being the fact that she at some point sleeps with him in the first season is just based on the character that we meet her as is just unbelievable mm-hmm. so then the fact that you because you, you sort of skip some development so then you learning that actually no she is just kind of also nuts is, yeah. is a nice development i think that that was handled with with panache that's more interesting to me her as a regular air quotes person who somehow used to date this this complete freak uh (laughs) is not interesting to me so anyway i'm i'm looking forward to a season full of uh danny mcbride and apparent child endangerment i i like baby in danger humor that works for me i don't know why speaking speaking which where's the where's the little baby seamus been on archer i don't know i've been missing him That, that is a good point um, I was going to say, speaking of baby endangerment, uh, we have uh, Downton. In a... Oh, good segue. Yeah. Well, it, it, for me, I, I, I assume I'm just waiting for Anna to show up pregnant because, you know, she had one night with Bates before he got arrested. So I assume now that he's going to be hung 
or actually, I guess it's life imprisonment now. She's going to also be a widow with a baby. I just am waiting for that to happen in the show. Is it going to be hung or hanged? Hanged. I apologize. It's, it's hanged is the correct term. Uh, though he does get a reprieve. It's not going to be a surprise to anybody who's listening to this, who's listened to any of our previous coverage in the past several weeks for Downton. I was did not enjoy the, the Christmas special. I don't understand. Why did you put yourself through this? Because I'm a completist and I'm stupid sometimes. I, you know what? I, I never, I never have the dignity to do stuff that's positive, but I had the dignity to turn off Downton Abbey in the middle of last week's episode. It was the best decision I think I've made in my entire life. There's, there are some, some good things in this. I think that. Uh, the proposal scene we get between Matthew and Mary is lovely. It's far too long coming, and it's ridiculous that she needs to have both of the major men in her life, her father and her not-fiancé, even though he should have been fiancé Matthew, uh, forgive her for her indiscretion before she's willing to leave her soon-to-be-abusive husband. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But the final scene with Matthew and Mary is lovely and well done. Also nice is the developments we get with Daisy and uh, and her uh, relationship with William's father, as well as the relationship with uh, Miss Patmore. I like what they do with Rosemary uh, and and the um, the suitor, her suitor. I thought that was a nice twist on what I was expecting them wait, to wait, do. Wait, wait, which one's Rosemary? I believe that's I believe this name Lord Grantham's sister, the redhead. I've already forgotten. Wow, it's already out of my it, mind. Beautiful. Congratulations. Unfortunately, what's not well handled is anything with Bates. Uh, the entire house seems to be obsessing about Bates at every opportunity, which is somewhat ridiculous, uh, if only because they have n there's no changes in anything, really, mm -hmm. except at the trial, things change. And uh, the whole trial is ridiculous as well. I, I'm just I'm not going to bother talking about all of the things that are wrong in this uh i assume it'll get several more seasons to come i doubt i will uh have forgotten enough of this to come back and try season three mm -hmm. but i don't know we'll see. i don't see what everybody's seeing uh the, the the praise for the the finale is not really you know praise for the season in general just boggles my mind yeah i, I don't really get it but let's let's move to a happier subject the amazing race uh 20 premiere at least it was a happy subject for me what did you think I thought it was fun. Um, I, I I have a difficulty with sort of early stages of reality shows because I just I can't I can't track more than f like f six sets of people. But I will say, married clowns. <laughs> that is one of the nastiest phrases in the English language. That is just awful. It entertains me how that's, much that's you... like that's like smegma hat. I just I don't need that in my life. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it sort of boggles my mind how, how anti-clown you are. <laughs> it, all thinking people are anti-clown. I well, think you need to reconsider your, your pro-clown status. <laughs> I'm just not anti-clown. I don't have a problem no, with No, no, no. You are pro-clown or you are anti-clown, all right? <laughs> Two stances and only one of them is correct. Um, for me, uh, I, I enjoy the Mississippi Girls. I like, I you know, maybe call me a sucker, but I did appreciate that the... The one who was so afraid of heights did go through with the 
you know, dealt with her issues and jumped out of the, the plane to the skydive, um, which is not an easy thing to do, I don't think, so I respect her for that. Uh, I was disappointed when the the Hawaiian girl sisters, or, or whoever they were, got eliminated. That was pretty hilarious, though. It was, it was pretty hilarious, but, because they, they didn't get all, they kept it together mm-hmm. um, through several setbacks in, over the course of the episode, so I was rooting for them over... What's the guy's name? Joey Fitness or oh, something? Oh, God, yeah. Um, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure the, I'm sure Mr. Fitness is not long for this race. Who knows? You never can tell which way it'll go. All it takes is somebody. They, if they could scoot by, scoot by in the, you know, not last place thing for a while. Maybe. They'll need to rely on people continually running past the exit. <laughs> Where is that? Now, I, I'm curious. Uh, I would be very interested in doing a bragging rights uh, amazing race pool where you like pick the winner and you know every week there's a couple things that you pick do you have any interest in that um i maybe i mean i i would have to once again pay slightly closer attention to just who i'd be voting for i just know honestly my only vote is against mary clowns <laughs> as, as it stands right now but i don't think it's a bad idea so if you're interested in that drop me a, send me a tweet or, or leave a comment but i think that would be fine for me it always, my parents usually do one with their friends and it always makes the race more fun and it, it gets me more invested if i if i have somebody to root for so i don't know i think it'd be fun let us know what you think um then any final racing thoughts other than i was struck by i really enjoy phil as a host yeah, Phil's always good. Especially, he he makes some. He he doesn't often make faces, but when he does, he makes them count. Uh, next up was the Good Wife, which okay, I guess we should just get our bitching out of the way because I know we there's one big thing we need to bitch about, which is what the hell are they doing with Alan Cumming, Parker Posey, and Amy Sedaris? And this like you got three like really strong performers, and you're just putting them in like the least appealing configuration known to man. Yeah, I wouldn't. What is going on? I wouldn't have predicted a, a day this soon into my, you know, the good wife appreciation when I was ready for Eli to just not be on the show. Yeah. Because if, if, if him being on the show means that we're going to get this love triangle, come <laughs> just, on. You just saying it just brings, just, it, it, it's, it brings the words married clowns back to my brain. It's just like things I do not want. <laughs> it just, I don't, and other people see chemistry there between any of them i don't at all i mean i think that there's the nice there's a nice sparring relationship between sedaris and coming but and with him and posey i think there's there's potential they're both very bitchy but i mean bringing back i'm sorry when you've had a relationship with a bin laden you don't have a campaign you don't have a campaign there's... It doesn't matter what the office is for. You could be running for school president. Yeah, it does not matter. Dog catcher. doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, uh, aside from that. It was a fine episode. Yeah. It was, it was It was annoying enough that there was no way that this was going to get spotlit. But other, other than that, it was fine. I like that uh, they apparently commit to the whole thing with. Yeah. With. Uh, with Will. Will, with Will kept, Gardner. Yeah. I and kept his... waiting for that to get undone, but it didn't. Yeah, and I, I we were I think we were both really afraid it was gonna get yeah. like oh with all this other crap happening I guess the, oh and he picks up a bat oh he's gonna go fight oh wait no he's not good good because he shouldn't <laughs> and that was that was a nice misdirect there I think deliberately yeah um, oh definitely in the advertising but yeah I mean I don't pay attention to the ads but yeah I I mean I don't know how we'll see where things are headed with everybody else uh i mean the whole the case of the week was okay i felt like they threw in that whole pink uh 
Damascus? Pink Damascus thing just to be topical. It didn't really contribute anything to the episode at all. Well, it was funny. I guess. But it's like if you've read a newspaper, it's more like, oh, I see oh, what you did there. Yeah, but if you didn't, it wasn't a problem. I guess. So, I don't know. I The 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 ending with uh where the the syrian uh intel guy is disappeared or assumed, presumed dead but the american gets you know adorable white girl gets home uh i kept waiting for them to there to be more of a commentary there but... and then to subvert that in some way and yeah just, and just, no. just no um yeah. but i know I, I like the episode i think it'll be interesting to see what shakes down at with carrie at the uh, the office, Peter's office. Right, yeah, I don't know really what's going on there yet. But, no, it was a good transitional episode. Yeah, good stuff. except for that other stuff. Except for that one thing that was rather significant. So, of course, we also had a new episode of The Walking Dead this week, which wasn't very good. You can hear us complain. I feel like we're, doing, we're just mostly complaining this week, but there was <laughs> some good stuff, I promise. Uh, but, yeah, we mostly just complain over on the Walking Dead podcast. Uh, and it was, I feel especially annoyed, annoyed that it was called Trigger Finger, which just, it's such an exciting word. It's yeah. full of great sounds, and just, it's not a good episode. Um, so, of course, the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast is us, both of us, along with Ricky D, and that gets put out on the Televerse feed. So if you subscribe to this in iTunes, you will also mm-hmm. get that as well. So Yeah, this week that'll probably be up sometime around Tuesday morning or afternoon. It's good, yeah. going up a little late because things have been destabilized with me towards taking this trip up to Chicago. Next up is Luck, a show that I've been following with special interest because I've been I've been writing about it weekly on the website and I think this might have been the strongest episode yet. I feel I like did, it's yeah. picking up steam. I don't think it was as much I feel like when I've been reading about the show that people have sort of positioned this episode as like some sort of, some sort of quantum leap which I don't think it is, but I think it's a little bit stronger. I mean, first of all, you've got Michael Gambin uh just <laughs> It, he really only gets one scene, but just watching him and Dustin Hoffman square off is just badass, <laughs> uh, just awesome. Uh, but really, I think the the heart of the episode is is the racing sequence, which mm-hmm. I thought was just amazing. I mean, just and the way the editing folds in basically all of the characters into this one sequence, just so that it knows, it gives you the impression that it knows what it's doing, or like maybe more strongly than it ever has before, and. I think that I thought the music was great. Uh, the performances were across the board solid, and there's a lot of great weirdness too. Like, there's especially that scene where, no, I mean, Nolte seems to get one soliloquy at least an episode, and here he's he's talking to Delphi. He's talking no, he's talking to getting up morning, but he's addressing it like it's Delphi because Delphi uh, is dead. Oh well, he's talking to Delphi. He's just looking at getting up morning. Right, but Delphi is. No, yes. yes, he's talking to his dead horse. Right, through the living horse. And it's like, this is not something you get on every show. <laughs> That's, that is definitely true. Now, I'm sure it was, uh, I was going to say somewhat, but I'm going to re- 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 uh, reassess that term. I'm sure it was very annoying to watch this with me, and I apologize, because I kept, when we were watching this, I kept <laughs> uh, just getting concerned and preemptively frustrated with, uh, what's the Jerry? Jerry yeah. and well, yeah, his because, plot line. Yeah, because his narrative over the last few episodes has really been he. This guy's a loser. He may win some money now, but eventually he's going to lose everything. And they did something really, really smart this episode, which was they kind of made it. See, they 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 bring him into this special high stakes game, and it mm-hmm. seems like he's probably going to lose it everything. He's got the whole bag of money, or at yeah. least his share, or whatever. And then after the race, his his the other three horsemen are like, you know what? Let's bust him out because this is getting stupid. Yeah. And it's like it read. It's like it read your mind. It is. I, I'm still nervous about that moving forward, but 
Yeah. Well, but I, but even like he even like thanks them afterwards because he's like, yeah, this is. He's not gonna do it again. No, but I wasn't expecting that. I was I was expecting him to be like bitter and like oh, you don't you guys don't know what you're doing, <laughs> which kind of seems like the standard thing to do in that it's situation. True. And I did um I did like the mature approach, uh, between the th- the discussion between the three of he's a gambling addict and you don't mm-hmm. like you're not going to help him by trying to do this or this or this this is just kind of how he is and we you know we do what we can that was nice yeah i feel like every relationship was a little more interesting this week and i like all the stuff with hoffman and joan allen which was just really sweet yeah like well, weirdly well, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that just <laughs> because, because yeah it's sweet I, now but maybe yeah later, i'm waiting so for for her to get screwed over somehow but yeah i don't know it, it, especially with the music cue at the end he just really yeah. it, it seemed like it was just very yeah. weirdly romantic really sweet yeah and uh, and i also like the stuff with with his little lackey mm-hmm. uh, nathan israel yeah that stuff is Pretty, yeah. pretty consistently funny. Getting set up for a fall, clearly. Yeah. But... Anyway, I'm really digging where it's headed. I feel like it's it's got spotlight in its future if it just keeps up the pace, so yeah. to speak. I don't know who said it on Twitter. I don't remember. But whoever <laughs> compared Richard Kind's character to E.B. Farnham, thank you, because that's yeah, hilarious. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. And way more so than with, than with John from Cincinnati, at least from what I saw. You can make clear lines between deadwood characters and there, characters. yeah there's certain ones that you know and that's for me that was the, that's the biggest one um i i also really liked getting carrie condon this week just the when they slowed down to the slow motion in the race mm-hmm. i was very strongly reminded of there's this great old fred astaire movie where they go again he's doing he's doing it's actually one of his later films because i believe it's in color and they go into slow motion they slow the film down you can see that his form is flawless it's completely uh, there's no even slightly out of sync muscle movement in his entire body Mm -hmm. and that and you're just watching athletic grace Mm-hmm. in perfect motion and i was reminded of that so strongly in the race when you see both the horse and then also but also the jockey mm-hmm. just in perfect unison together it was, it was a lovely thing to see yeah i mean the, when when the races are on in the show it's really like nothing else on tv yeah. just by definition yeah. yeah so i mean that's pretty awesome it was a great scene within just like you had said just seeing the like even with Nick Nolte's character, the fact that the music continues with him as he's walking down the stairs because he's still in that moment, mm-hmm. and it's he's that's going to follow with him for for at least the next several moments in his day. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was lovely. So there's a lot to like about Luck. Mm-hmm. Um, next on Monday we have Lost Girl, food for thought. Now you still haven't caught up with Lost Girl? No, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Um, this is one, you know, they, they they finally put Kenzie in some real uh, peril this week, which is something I've been kind of waiting for them to do. But they did they did a good job of it. That she starts uh, she <laughs> eats the wrong thing. I'll just leave it at that, and ends up bleeding uh, out of her eyes, and uh, inter- it just it's not a good situation. They do a really good job of very simple um, makeup and, and effects to make her seem incredibly ill. Um, we have, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but uh, he's fabulous on Supernatural playing Death. 
Oh, Julian Richings. Yes, yes. He shows up and, and is, it, it seems like a perfect addition. As to soon the as you cast. said someone shows up on this show, knowing it's a Canadian production, I could have guessed Julian Richings. The guy <laughs> is all over the place. Um, so th- that was fun. And uh, just they, they did a really good job of providing stakes without it feeling melodramatic and while remaining true to the characters. So that's another, uh, that's one I've been kind of waiting for them to do. And they, they succeeded. So. Good, good job, uh, Lost Girl. I'm still enjoying the season. So now we have The Voice. This is the point at which I become well and truly useless because <laughs> we're at like we're at like the seventh hour of blind auditions at some at this point, and it's just like by the nineteenth sob story, mm-hmm. I just. I just I, I something happens to my brain and I just like check out mentally like there's nothing wrong with the show it's just this much formula like mm-hmm. over this long a period of time makes Jack a dull boy well it just felt very it was a merry medical voice this week you know are you familiar with that term merry medical Christmas no that's when you get the Christmas letters and it's all the entire letters about various medical uh, struggles over the year so I felt like every sob story had some sort yeah, of yeah yeah everyone event. had a everyone had an illness it was really weird like and they're all like 19 yeah it's it's I don't know where they're finding these people like they're just trolling in hospitals for people mm-hmm. who can carry a tune but what I do find interesting and I told you about this the, the, interesting about watching the voice is that when the the base starting level is everybody can for the most part, sing in tune, for the most part, sing well, then it becomes far more interesting to see who they pick. There's a couple people who they turn, they all turn around for it. I wasn't feeling it all, so I'm wondering how much of that is due to energy and performance live, and how much of that is just, oh, they're turning around, I better make sure I'm in on this. Or some, or even some of the times when just one person turns around, you're like, really? Turn around <laughs> for them, but not that person? But, yeah, there's always that X factor when it comes to singing competitions on television where you don't know how much is just not being communicated to you at home because you're not there physically. Uh, I mean, maybe nothing, but you know, this is music. So probably not, probably there is something. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll see that also when we get into the battle rounds last year, there were definitely a few winners who were not nearly as good as the people they defeated, but I assume their performance Mm -hmm. uh, is what, lifted them over the top so so wait a minute there's two more hours of auditions next week yeah there's one more episode of auditions the voice is going to be two hours okay, well just call me back when the battle rounds start whatever that <laughs> means because I, I i think i've reached my limit with the auditions i get it they're sad they're they've got cancer of the face i don't know just i've had enough do you have a judge that you're particularly in sync with so far oh uh, well i think um I think Blake is probably the least pretentious, mm-hmm. which is nice. I mean, Adams kind of has his annoying moments, and they make CeeLo and, and Christina Aguilera very, very shticky, mm. which I don't know how much of that is artifice. I don't know how much is, of that is just their personalities, but it, it grates on me. So I'm going to – I vote Blake. Okay. Yeah, he's – he's they're all fun to watch, I think. And and he's very upfront about his, his, his tastes style, yeah. and his style, which yeah. is also nice. Yeah. Um, let's let's move on to a little, unfortunately uh, we're gonna be closing out our, our weekend TV with a snarky note a, a less than stellar episode of Smash Enter Mr Dimaggio uh, uh, if I had the energy I would shame this episode but I don't <laughs> um, yeah this was not good there no. was very little that was good in this very episode very little that was good um, okay so where do we start on what was bad actually you know what I want to Deborah Messing hi how are you. Uh, you're a talented lady of means. Um, why are you doing this? <laughs> you do so many things wrong this evening. I don't, I don't know whether I should blame you or the writing or the directing, but 
oh boy, you were not working for me this evening. I mostly, I, I mostly felt bad for her because of what she's given to work with, which is this ridiculous affair. Oh my god, that flashback! <laughs> the fla- oh, the, okay. So there's a flashback late in the episode where I don't know whether that was in a previous episode or not. I'm no, thinking it could not have been because no. we would have noticed. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. But and 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 her husband like kisses her mm-hmm. and then he he pulls away and she looks like she's gonna vomit and it goes on for a really long time. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of problems, but for me, that's not the biggest one. As contrived and terrible as that plotline is, uh, let's let's give it up for the assistant. Uh, yeah, he's really bad. And, Machiavellian assistant. And he, I like him in in the first episode. Like he, you can see how he's like kind of conniving, maybe, but generally is kind of is mm. kind of okay. And then just what they start doing with him, yeah. like last episode and especially this episode, is like, no, mm. don't like it's. It's totally just pulling a Downton and just going for easy drama. And you can see 10 steps ahead of everything to do with this character. So annoying. And even stuff that was good in previous episodes is just run into the ground in this episode. Like the Angelica Houston. Yeah. Uh, I can never remember his name. Truxton Spangler scenes. <laughs> I'm just going to always call him that, even though that's a ridiculous name to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like by the second and third time she's throwing her Manhattans into his face and they're making a shtick out of it. Like really, are you just going to start doing this all the time now? Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Very little about this was good. Even the closing number I thought was, or not closing number, but the last new song from the musical we get, I thought was not very good. Oh yeah. It was the closing number, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. That song really worked for me uh, because it fit the, the, the story that they're going for so well within the play. And I've, I mean, I think if I hadn't had such a huge problem with the terrible, you know, yeah. Deborah Messing plotline, it would have worked, you know, thematically throughout the episode I, as I well. just thought melodically it was boring. Well, you know, I just, when you're making a musical, not every number can be the big one. You yeah. need to have valleys as well. And this is sort of simple little tune. It felt authentic to me. Yeah, fair enough. So, I don't think there's anything really wrong with the music so far. And I still really like uh, Hilti this week. I enjoyed the 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 smarmy director. We'll see just how smarmy he's being. I kind of expected them to the camera to follow him back to his apartment and have it not be messed up at all. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I just assume he was lying. Um, the thing with Hilti is I I like her, but I don't like that they're making her character be a moron. Yeah, that would be nice if they could not do that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see um, how it goes from from here. Hopefully, it pulls out its skid um, next week. And I know the the first four got sent out to critics, and I heard there's a general you know consensus of three's not so hot. For some people, four gets better. For some people, four continues in line the same line. Well, the preview isn't very. Yeah, very you're not exciting. gonna inspire much hope when you are selling me on a Jonas Brother, uh, particularly after that uh, 25th Lee Miz anniversary ridiculousness. Um, now, if you... I'm I'm so glad I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, a, a Jonas played Marius. Oh, you didn't know? See, that see, was now the part you know. You, uh... It's in your head now. Yeah, Damn it. that's right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I th- I think that's plenty to talk about Smash. We'll see. Um, we'll see whether it pulls out of the skid or just continues down the rabbit hole. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a break and come back with our spotlight this week. After much deliberation, we decided to go with Justified Thick as Mud. So we're going to listen to one of the songs from that episode and come back right after this. I'm doing hard time, people. In a box they call a cell. 
was Hard Time by Hans Olsen, and we are going to spotlight this week, Justified Thick as Mud. This song was, of course, featured at the, towards the beginning of the episode, as mm-hmm. I recall. And uh, poor Dewey Crow. Man, the right? guy... Can, well, I mean, I, I was going to say he can't catch a break, but actually, technically, he kind of does. He does. In the sense that he doesn't actually get his kidneys taken out. So I guess <laughs> that's something. Uh, I thought this episode was a blast. I mean, I feel like this season is off to a just... I feel if you if you were to look at the this first chunk of episodes in, in each season, I think this is probably the strongest so far. I th- feel like there's been much m- many fewer missteps than than in the other two seasons. Even though I, people think of season two as being massively better than the first, I think season three is so far just kicking ass left and right. I mean, where to start? I mean, this was a really funny, very densely packed episode. There's so much going on. There's a little bit of advancement in quite a few areas. Uh, the guest villains are pretty strong. Uh, we even get a good scene with Boyd and Ava, which I don't think we've gotten yet really this season. I actually liked their their interaction. Um, and I, I really like the little mini arc we get with, uh, with, with I, know, I know some people didn't, some people just have a hate on for Winona and just mm-hmm. don't like anything to do with her. But I, I really like this the the book ending scenes with her there and then her not so much there. Yeah, and I'm very interested interested to see exactly where they take that in the next few episodes. Yeah, I like this episode a lot too. Um, I wasn't very impressed with Michael C. Williams stuff this week. Uh, I thought there was too much expo dump and mm-hmm. it was... there was a, there was a little expo dump for sure. But I, I do feel like he's a really great character who hasn't really gotten a great scene yet like yeah. i'm still waiting for his moment yeah um but other than that like the neil mcdonough and walton goggin scene that was awesome awesome so, oh so great. great oh man that's, yes. i look forward to watching that you know that rivalry mm-hmm. just and royal <laughs> someone else pointed this out somewhere and so i went back and rewatched it and the, my favorite thing about it is when when boyd pulls out the the c word carpetbagger mm-hmm. and you just see like some of the yeah yeah some of the some of the pride just you know, saps out of McDonough's face. It's just perfect. And, and the way he just doubles down at the end is like, yep, that's me. I'm coming after you pretty much like, yeah, awesome. It was great. It was great. Um, as, as for the villains of the week, um, we, I, I was glad to see the, the nurse from last week <laughs> end up very dead. Um, but well, no, we don't know that she's dead. Oh, you, oh, sorry. You mean the male I mean, nurse. I mean yeah. the male. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the prison uh, doctor. Yeah, prison nurse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought Maggie Lawson was good. I, I felt like she was struggling somewhat, somewhat with the accent. I can't say I noticed. I don't know if that's just because I'm so used to her as Jules yeah, it's on enti- Psych. Also entirely possible because so. I've never watched Ju- Psych, so. Yeah, it's very it's such a different character, though. So, it, you know, when she popped up, I, it, you know, I saw her name in the credits in the beginning. I was like, huh? I didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. And then when she pops up, I, it just felt very odd. I should have seen it coming, mm-hmm. of course, that it, she was, you know, part of the... Yeah, the the double cross in this episode was very much like a season one move, which, but in like yeah. a pleasant way. Yeah, like, in a good way. It, yeah. was, it was nice to see that kind of plot again. Uh, and once again, we have a compromised Raylan. Although, you know, some people complain that the whole like needle paralysis thing was a little played out but i didn't didn't bother me it was fine it's something an evil nurse might do well and you know this season we've been seeing raylan off his game and this week we've seen him have to we've seen him lose a lot Mm -hmm. and this week sure he wins but he also loses because he it's the first time he's killed a woman 
Or Shadow, we don't know if Shadow, she dies. Shadow, I, I mean, yes, yeah, it's true. We don't know if she dies. They're really trying to limit the number of brain-caused fatalities uh, lately. Boyd survives a wound like that because Walton Goggins is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I feel like they'll. Does. I feel like they'll have her not die just so that it will be another person that he doesn't kill. Yeah, we'll we'll see exactly where it follows, but you know, he he, he shoots her through another guy and that's that's a so desperate awesome. move. Sorry. You know. Like it, it was it was great. It was like very entertaining, but I'm I'm very interested in the journey that he's been making this season mm, and that yeah. one assumes he will continue to make. Yeah. And it, and what's I mean, and there's a great little it's a simple but very effective little bit of dramatic irony when he really does seem to say like okay i think i'm ready to just not do this so much anymore like i'm yeah i'm in a bathtub underneath another dude <laughs> yeah and i shoot a lady through that dude i think maybe it's and, and i, I almost, liked her too. and i almost get <laughs> and then i almost get cut up into a bunch of pieces yeah absolutely it was a dark episode because we we you know we touched on that we like we enjoy dewey crow it's a great performance but we didn't talk about any of the stuff that he does it's a like his performance throughout the episode, he's, it's both hilarious in the right points, but also incredibly like his line. I'm a desperate man. You absolutely mm -hmm. believe him. Yeah, yeah. Well, David Harriman is is. I mean, this is he'll probably never get another episode to shine mm -hmm. as much as he does here. Yeah, and one he's, assumes. He yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine he's never getting out after <laughs> yeah. that. Well, and just like he, he, what's great about him in this episode is yes, he's a laughable character. And he does, and, and you know, once he's out of the predicament, you realize he hasn't learned anything. Yeah. But you do, you do sympathize for him in mm -hmm. while it's happening, just because it it is just a horrible position to be in. Yeah. And you, you know, he's a rascal and he's like kind of a jerk, but you don't want to see him die. Yeah, we haven't seen him. This is the most violent I think we've ever seen him. We've seen him try to take mm -hmm. on Raylan before, but that's just almost adorable. Yeah. And and I loved uh, especially his encounter with the um, with the Christian clerk who doesn't like it when yeah. he blasphemes, and then after he gets sort of taken out by by Raylan, he 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 blesses him on the way out, and yeah. and you kind of hear him go, "Thank you, sir." <laughs> just just great stuff. Yeah, lots of lots of great little details like that. Once again, we get to see Rachel in action, though. And... Still no Tim. Uh, still no Tim, but uh, Rachel gets probably the best i mean what my favorite scene maybe it, just because it was such a weird like archer rip mm. was uh was Raylan's lawrence nightingale pun which just <laughs> lands like a lead balloon and and just she's just not having it and it's yeah. just a wonderful little moment and he, and and he does a great job with it too he just just come on you just... know you want to laugh just do it just do it no well, and maybe that's something. Maybe she would have given him the laugh in season one, but he's been a pain in the ass to work with. One yeah, so it's great that she's annoyed with him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't have any other particular things we you want to make sure we mention. Uh, no, only that. I mean, I'm really, I uh, I'm really curious to see how they ramp up even the, further. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to get insane, <laughs> and how it's going to ramp up in ways that don't just involve Raylan shooting people, because it doesn't, it seems like they're really trying to avoid that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that means more Boyd action, more so Limehouse has got to come in, yeah. there's got to be more with, uh, with Dickie, obviously, who was a no-show <laughs> this week. Yeah. And yeah, there's just, I have no idea where this is headed. It's like, it's yeah. like we're in, uh, we're in Breaking Bad mode now, where we have yeah. no idea what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's nice. It's nice to have another show like that on on the air. For me, Vampire Diaries is another one where it really could go 
anyway at certain mm-hmm. points. You know, they come to crossroads, and because it's a show that has proven it'll go down mm-hmm. crazy paths. You know, it's the same thing. Can you imagine another show doing uh, a, a guy's kidneys get cut out episode? Yeah, yeah I mean, they don't, really, but you believe but, that they could. You believe that they could. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I think also um, um, Adam Arkin did a great job directing the episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, some people had, were complaining about the sort of crank-like effects that were going on when he... But I thought, I thought all I that thought stuff worked. worked. I thought yeah. it was... And I just... It, it helps you really just to feel for... for yeah. Uh, for Dewey because he's just in the poor, the poor kid. The poor kid. And uh, before I forget again, uh, as I've been meaning to mention the past couple of weeks, of, of course, the music this week, uh, this this season has been really great, though somewhat difficult when I'm trying to find clips of it. Because yeah, that they they go for the they deep go cuts, obscure, man. But yeah. it it's so great and a nice a blend of different styles. Mm-hmm. So it, it yeah. you know feels more current. But yeah, very so. very excited to see where this is headed. On, yeah. uh, on Tuesday night. Absolutely. So before we go into our DVD shelf with Michael Rice, um, a few show notes. Of course, our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find this at our, the podcast at soundonsite.org and feel free to leave us some comments there. Let, me, let us know about, uh, if, you, if you want in on the Amazing Race pool, let us know what you think about uh, the fades, if you've caught it or mm-hmm. justified or any, any of these other shows. Feel free to give me a hard time for hating on Downton so much. And and feel free to knock us for being so negative but we absolutely but you know but we're not gonna listen but you can knock us i'll i'll listen i mean i'll listen i don't say i'll change i might change (laughs) probably won't change okay fine i'll I'll hear you but i won't (laughs) compromise of course you can also subscribe in itunes we have an mp3 and an m4a feed there and if if you like i know some of our view uh listeners uh, feel that uh, iTunes is the devil. We're also up on current, and you can also, of course, subscribe to the RSS feed. You can email us at uh, theteleverse at gmail.com. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howl. And uh, I think that's I think that's plenty. All right, let's we're, go enjoy the city. So we're, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna leave you with this excellent uh, interview we had talking with uh, with Michael Rice of the Opera Now podcast about Faulty Towers, one of the great British series. It was and, a good time. And hope you enjoy that. Well, that'll be back right after this. Are these Germans too? Oh yes, but I can do Right, right. Here's the plan. I'll stand there and ask them if they want something to drink before the war. Before their lunch. <laughs> Don't mention the war. Can we help you? <laughs> Are you speaking English? Of course. Ah, oh, wonderful, wunderbar. Ah, please allow me to introduce myself. I am the owner of Forty Towers, and may I welcome your war, your war, you war, you war, you war, and hope that your stay will be a happy one. Now, would you like to eat first, or would you like a drink before the war? Mean <laughs> that our trespasses will be uh, uh, tied up with piano wire. Sorry, sorry, I'll Got a shrapnel in the war. Korean, Korean, what? Sorry, Korean. Thank you, we will eat now. Oh, good, please, do allow me.
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome Michael Rice from the Opera Now podcast to come and talk Faulty Towers, one of the seminal British series, I would say. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. So, Faulty Towers, I think it's generally considered one of the, the best comedies, but why is it your particular choice for the segment? Uh, for me, I mean, it is obviously acknowledged as one of the great British sitcoms, but for me, the, the thing I, it's, it's for me, it begins and ends with, with John Cleese and just the way he is able to be both the smartest person in the room and the most difficult and enraged person in the room at the same time. Uh, you know, if you look back at some of the stuff he's done on, on Monty Python, some of my favorite bits in some of the in on uh, especially in the Flying Circus, their their television show, so things like the maybe I don't want to get too like inside baseball, but the you know the the dirty uh, fork sketch mm-hmm. where he comes out with a hat and he's screaming you and he's screaming you snot nosed oh and he's got this meat cleaver in his hand. Uh, also, another I think from that same episode is when he's doing they're, they're talking about the communism overtaking the world. And it's all at a Terry Gilliam, who was the animator for the show. It's it's all a series of his animations. Then it cuts away to the announcer, who has been John Cleese this whole time, and he's sitting in a garden with a, a kind of an iron you know garden table at a chair with a microphone, and he's you know those rotten commies. And he <laughs> smacks the microphone away. I kill. I hate him. He's, ah, ah, and, and that same slow burn that he did so well. And then you know coming to. He gets called away to tea or something, and it's just he's able to turn on a dime and be so enraged, and yet at the same time so calm. So that's and everybody else is great on the show as well. But that's that's what drew me into it. Well, he's just such a a great performer, like you said, of being able to play such range and his, his style and approach to comedy. It's just hilarious. Um, now, now, for me, I had seen Faulty Towers. I, it, I was sort of peripherally aware of it uh, when I was growing up from, from PBS and catching an episode here and there. And then back before, we, right before we were starting the Televerse, there was a list of shows that I felt like I needed to, to catch up with to feel legit in having a TV podcast. And on that list was... For example, The Sopranos and and some of these other great series. And one of them was I need to make sure that I see all of Faulty Towers. And I had so much fun with it, just reliving the the episodes that I remembered and having this whole new appreciation um, as an older viewer looking at the same you know episodes that I had seen before. Uh, seeing all of this hilarious comedy, but the sort of more the the stuff derived from the class struggle or just that element to British society, which I think is just so uniquely British and so very much uh, a part of the the comedy uh, that we get from them. Uh, And so I just had so much fun with just, first of all, the, the, it's hilarious performances, excellent writing and all that, but also the, the more social commentary element of it was also a lot of fun for me. Um, Simon, what about you? Am I overthinking it or, or do you see that as well? Uh, no, I I don't think you're overthinking it at all. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, I mean, I, this was my first time watching Faulty Towers. I was actually probably initially made aware of it through references to Faulty Towers. I mean, most obviously in stuff like The Office. The original with Gervais. Yeah, yeah, the original. Yeah, obviously the reference to the uh, to the Germans episode. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it's not a coincidence that I'm especially enjoying the show right now because... 
this won't mean anything to anyone at home, but I'll I'll explain by saying that recently where I work, there has been an influx of customers from the wealthiest neighborhood in this entire country, which happens to be right over there. <laughs> so uh, I, I actually I have maybe more sympathy for, for Basil Fawlty than I maybe am supposed to. Um, when you're talking about John Cleese's performance, I, I think for me what really stands out is, yeah, he's he's nimble and he, and he turns on a dime, but it's especially glaring because he's just so damn huge. Yes. And, I mean, he's 6'5", and lanky. it's especially, he's a lanky fellow, and it's especially glaring on this set because it's, you know, it's not a big hotel. And not only is it not a, a big hotel, it's, it's kind of a frail set also. So whenever he's, you know, whenever you see him clamber up or down the stairs, you can, I mean, the walls are shaking and you, it just gives you this, this feeling that, you know, everything could come down uh, quite literally at any moment. And especially when he, he would, Manuel, who was the, their uh, kind of uh, bellboy slash waiter from Barcelona, of course. Sorry, he's from <laughs> Barcelona. Yeah, you know, he just bang his head against the sets, and the sets would shake every time. And uh, it was a very physical comedy um, in many respects, of course, and just literally sometimes physical, because it seems like there was no stunt coordinator on the show. They would grab each other, they would throw each other, they would. It, it, it was it was hilarious. Now let's pause for a moment in case there are people listening who are unfamiliar with Faulty Towers. Uh, the premise is pretty straightforward. It's about uh, Faulty Towers, which is the name of a small, I would say, inn, probably is the mm-hmm. right Bed and term. Breakfast Bed or and Inn breakfast, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and it's run by Basil Faulty, who has all sorts of classist issues of desiring to be upper class, uh, but clearly not belonging with that. So there's all sorts of interesting issues going on there and of course his wife Sybil uh, who is the competent one in the management of the hotel it seems to me and then they have a not to him though not to him him, he is the competent one (laughs) clearly Um, and then, then they ha- there's Manuel, who's the waiter and, and helps around the, the the inn and carries the bags and such. And, and Polly also is one of the other people who works there, the other competent one, I would say. And so then, and yeah. then other there are certain regulars at, at the, the inn and the... Major, of course. Yes, the, the major. Oh, Voltaire, well done! <laughs> and so it's just, yeah, basically, it's one of these, of course, with British series, as we say so frequently on the Televerse, um, there's just two seasons, each of them had, I believe, what, six episodes? Yeah. So it's just 12 episodes, uh, and each episode is really tight and really funny, and it's, so it's, it's one of those series that there's not too much of it, but what you get is pretty great. They, they do that, too, because a lot of, they do short runs of these shows because it allows the actors to do other series. So they're not tied down to one series, and that's been going on for a long time with the BBC. Mm-hmm. I figured out that I found that out recently, so I thought it was interesting. When you were mentioning Kate that Basil, you know, has these classist issues, I mean that's kind of true. But I think what what's beautifully laid out in the first episode, which I believe is called "A Touch of Class," is I mean it 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 opens for Basil with the premise that he wants Faulty Towers to attract a, a higher class of of clientele, and it you know he has this aspirational sense of all well, you know I want this place to be respectable. But really, over the course of the episode, what you find out isn't that he has a problem with the lower class or the upper class. Just he has a problem with people who ask anything of him, really. <laughs> uh, what, what you, it, he's really just in the wrong line of work. Yeah. And, and actually, the, the show was based – it was uh, 
uh, Faulty is played by John Cleese, and Polly, who was the, the maid, is Connie Booth, who was his wife at the time. And they developed the show because it's, it was, I think it was maybe while filming, uh, while Monty Python was filming Holy Grail, I think, they stayed in Torquay in an inn. And the, the owner of the inn was, according to Cleese, the rudest man he'd ever met in his life. And he was absolutely fascinated by him. He would take apart everything people did and, and the rest of the cast of, of the Holy Grail left and went somewhere else. But, but uh, John Cleese and, and, and his wife, Connie, stayed because he was just so fascinated by this guy. How could somebody act like this, be an owner of an inn where you're in a service industry and just be so ill-suited to the task? So, you know, it is kind of based in a sort of reality, I guess, but uh, it was there was an inspiration for it at least. Well, and that's how you can buy a character like this. Uh, you know, not not dissimilar to we were mentioning the office, the British office earlier. Everybody's met, met someone that's kind of like David Brent, and he's just that sort of dialed up to eleven. And I feel like that's a similar thing with with Basil Fawlty. Um, it, it's just that you can see elements in in that character that are so so true to certain people maybe we've all run into at one point in our lives or another and that's what makes all of it work and come together i think absolutely now i know i don't want this to devolve into the chris farley show um but uh i guess I remember that time when... remember that time <laughs> when the moose eyes moved and it was so funny that was great um do you guys have a favorite episode or even character uh, I, I mean, if I can go for, I, I, I mean, it's probably Basil for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, everybody says it, but the Germans is, is gotta be one of the best, you know, 28 minutes ever recorded on television, either in the UK or in the United States. Uh, we can probably elaborate on that. So if you guys want to go and choose your favorite. Uh, well, personally, I have a soft spot for communication problems. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons, partially because of my Westmount dilemma and partially because of that wonderful sequence uh, involving uh, Polly and basically the most frenetic game of charades ever invented. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, see, I think, you know, the, it's, there's so many great episodes. The Germans is the one that first comes to mind, but when I glance down the episode list, I think I'm going to have to go with the Kipper and the Corpse. That or, was my second choice. Or maybe Basil the Rat. With, I, I think, in general, I think I like the second season a little bit better than the first. Um, but yeah, some of just the... I, I'm a big fan of farce, and so some of the ridiculousness in The Kipper and the Corpse is just so much fun for me. You know, we should make mention briefly in the... I don't, maybe, or, I don't know if this is the time, but David Kelly, who played Mr. O'Reilly, who was the handy, the inept handyman, just mm -hmm. passed away, I think, two oh. days ago. That's, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. People maybe know him from Waking Ned Divine or from mm -hmm. the recent uh, more, I don't know, younger audiences might know him from the Johnny Depp, uh, Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate mm -hmm. Factory. He was I like him better than that other David Kelly involved in television. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he's, he's great on this. I hadn't heard that. That's too bad. But um, definitely left a, an excellent line of work behind him so this is a great way to 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 brush up on his resume uh, watching him in this um you were we were mentioning the the germans earlier and uh, i do have to say when i rewatched this most recently i was struck by how much of the episode 
is build up because of course what I always remembered from having seen it when I was younger was the hilarious closing you know uh payoff to everything but I I had forgotten everything that happens at the beginning with him being in the Basil being in the hospital and and everything because you just remember you know don't mention the war and, and 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 these lines but it's it's really I think just so incredibly well paced and structured Another thing that's kind of striking about that episode is the major, because in most of the other episodes, I mean, he's kind of just a doddering old fool who, you know, is there for some innocent laughs. And, and in that episode, he comes out with some uh, racial epithets I wasn't really expecting. Yeah. <laughs> well, even Basil has. It, it's, it's certainly a show of its time in the way it treats race. Yeah. Uh, and, and nationality, you know, because, you know, Manuel is often re- referred to as a, a dago git which you know i guess i guess we think about it now as like kind of like a, a generic term for like an italian but uh, manuel that was from barcelona he didn't speak english so it's it, it, it in many ways it's very dated and certainly something like they wouldn't be able to say some of the things they do say uh but but i don't think that takes away from just the the genius of the show still and and there's certainly in the end whoever is the more, most foolish person in that episode kind of gets it. Yeah, I, I I think generally, I mean, I think Manuel is definitely the most problematic aspect of the show for me because whenever, I feel like with him, there's generally two kinds of humor or maybe three, but the foolishness is what is one aspect. And then there is just plain old miscommunication, which, you know, that, which especially comes up in uh, communication problems. And then sometimes there'll be jokes or, you know, plots revolving more around his otherness. And that stuff is a little bit uh, out there for me. Yeah, I mean, I obviously there is, as you guys were saying, such a strong uh, of its time sort of uh, racial element to some of the humor. Or at least for me, when I was watching it, I was just laughing at how idiotically uh, quasi-racist Basil was. But it's it's interesting i wonder how much of that was intended as comedy at the time and how much of that was the character and yeah, i'm curious what the reaction was at the time i mean it, it probably was more to set up basil as as the the lout and kind of like the fall guy but, but i think that even if if that is the case you know, that is a problem i think with a lot of television and certainly with a lot of movies we watch them now from our current you know, hopefully more enlightened eyes. And we look back at, sh- at, at, at films, you know, something, especially something like uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's with Mickey Rooney. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, that you nearly know, it, ruins the film. It does, but f- for me, when I see stuff like that, it is so absurd and so... Just the fact that somebody would attempt to do... I mean, not that I enjoy Mickey Rooney's performance, but it doesn't bother the film for me, or it doesn't ruin the film, because it is so absurd... And so outdated that I can still enjoy the film, and I, I, I can't really take offense because I know that it, it's not something that would ever happen now. I, I have to apply, I, I have to extend that to uh, Long Duck Dong. Oh in, yeah, uh, yeah, in Sixteen Candles. Oh boy, it's just so you know the gong every time. God, but you know it, it's just it's so absurd, and maybe they didn't think it was at the time, but for me it's so absurd now that I I can laugh at it in the sense that how could you have thought that that was a good idea? So I can still enjoy. The, the the piece or the TV show or whatever it is as a whole, but so I, it doesn't really ruin it for me. I, 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 just, I, I, I do think that even though it's like a decade before those John Hughes movies, there's nothing 
here half as offensive as Mickey Rooney. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, sorry. Oh, I guess Breakfast Tiffany's is is, uh, is before that, but I was extending that to, to Long Duck Dung. Yeah. Long Duck Dung. Yeah. There's there's a continuum, but I think that this is on the minor side of racial offenses in comedy. People flock to your Netflix or whatever and, and get this movie. Do not worry, you will not be offended. Yeah. The bad well, guy, I... the crazy guy, gets it in the end every episode. Well, and you'll be too busy laughing to 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 be offended enough to. Turn it off, I would say. I mean, even the think about the Germans in that episode. Mm-hmm. He, he the whole the conceit is he's he's got he's been banged on the head. He doesn't know what's going on. He's not of right mind, and he's and these they've been talking about this German group of of guests coming to the hotel, and all he can think about is not mentioning the war because he doesn't want to offend them, and he runs around and starts slipping into this you know John Cleese uh, German accent. He starts high-stepping around the, the finger, you know, over his <laughs> upper lip. And they get really upset. Stop mentioning the war. I'm sorry about the war. I do, I've mentioned the war before, but don't mention and, and in the end, he gets hit. He fall collapses. And the Germans are standing outside. And, and the last line is, I can't believe they won the war. <laughs> so even they realize how absurd it is in, in a way and how crazy it is that he's acting this way. And it's they just they don't understand it and they can't believe it. And they're ultimately... In, in in my mind, I guess not offended by it because it's so absurd the way he's acting. So maybe that's and, kind of the way they got around it. And back to the subject of Cleese, I think it's it's appropriate that I came to this show in sort of indirectly through the original UK office because I think that Cleese and Gervais, at least in that series, share that quality where they can do and say horrible things, but on some base level, they're still weirdly sympathetic. Yeah, it's the char- It's all about the character. As long as there's other sides to the character, you can get into their head and appreciate them. It's exactly right. Yeah, we are uh, getting close on time. Uh, do you have? Because I think, like I was saying earlier, it's so easy to devolve into you know this moment was really great and that moment was really great. Do you have any any final thoughts that that you guys would like to to touch on or or any other uh, things about Faulty Tower that that we really have to hit, uh, Michael? If I could say another great episode, I, I hate this, but uh, Waldorf salad is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the American couple comes to stay and, and, and Basil is kind of put in his place by this kind of gruff, uh, overbearing, or I, what, in a way, I guess what the English, it seems, thought of Americans at the time. Oh, well, uh, I don't know how much of, of that I would put into past tense, uh, uh, at well, least for a certain segment of the population. But yeah, uh, so, uh, but that's also a great episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Simon? Uh, well, we haven't really touched on uh, Prunella Scales and Connie Booth that much, and I, I think it's just worth mentioning that, I mean, obviously they don't get quite as much uh, intense physical comedy as John Cleese is so obviously great at, but especially uh, he and Booth have just fantastic chemistry, and watching her try to sort of sort her way around his various schemes is just generally a blast. Yeah. And they were married the first season, but divorced the second season. So, really, I did not know that. Yeah, on, yeah. Well, and that's the thing with particularly for me, uh, though. Connie Booth is is great. She has very much the straight woman role in, in the in the series, I would say. Um, but but watching the Faulties sort of play off each other, I think works so well because, as we were saying earlier, with just Cleese's physicality and and in contrast, uh, Prunella's scales is so still most of the time. She she really when even when she's walking or moving, she's very measured and. Uh, stable i would say in her motion and i think that just that contrast is what makes that really work yeah 
she just passed away, I think, about a year and a half ago, too. Oh, man. It's taken a... a dropping less... like flies, this yeah. show. <laughs> Danger. We should not be talking about this. One of us could go at any moment. <laughs> hey, Cleese is getting up there. Don't even say that, sir. Don't even say that. Now, we should mention uh, there there have been some, some attempts at remaking Faulty Towers. <laughs> Somebody decided to try for an American remake, which luckily did not really get off the ground that 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 successfully um i don't know i feel like this is one of those shows that just shouldn't be touched well apparently i i mean i could be wrong i'd heard that at some point in the not that distant past there was some talk of a reunion uh but apparently connie booth was ill and they decided to scrap it well yeah and Cleese said we're just too old and tired we can't do it anymore <laughs> so yeah. and now they, of course they can't so yeah Anyways, uh, on that oh-so-delightful and happy note... Way to go, uh, Simon. Thanks for bringing us up. (laughs) No problem. Everyone should go check out Faulty Towers. (laughs) Um, Oh, no, it's the curse. (laughs) Okay. Michael, uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, If they look out their window and look down in the bushes, I'll be there. (laughs) Or they can go to opernowpodcast.com. That's my show where we uh, it's a show about what's going on in the opera world. Um, and but it's kind of, it's a more of like a daily show. Look at it. So it's 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 interesting. It's funny. It can get a little blue sometimes. Uh, but it's if you are at all interested in opera or have a vague interest and think you might be interested, but think it's about, you know, top hats and monocles. Listen to the show. You'll uh, you'll learn a lot. I guarantee it in one episode. You'll learn a lot. And you can't hear the top hats and monocles on the show anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's but we you you don't know for all we we could be nude when we're recording the show. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just with I, monocles though, or pince nez. Yeah, I don't know how much of an overlap there is, but considering I am of the overlap between you yeah. know TV fans and well, opera you're fans, a musician, and I didn't we I think we met up over Twitter. Mm-hmm. It was, I think you had said something about was uh, the, the Oscar. Like, yeah, the Golden Globes or something. Yeah, yeah. one of these shows. Yeah. It said something about how you much, and I wasn't enjoying it, and I wrote back, no, you are crazy. You said, am I crazy for, and I wrote, you are crazy. And you wrote back, you know, maybe you're right. And I said, you know, that was solid that you wrote me back. And that's how we became, quote, unquote, friends online. So, and we've been following each other ever since. And I love your show. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and- I, I love TV. I can't imagine how you guys watch all this TV. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. But it's so fantastic to to hear people talking about it. And I, I my one request mm-hmm. is for the next like from the D V D shelf if you guys could do Manimal. <laughs> but then we have to watch it. I don't know. You're saying we should do you remember, not... Does anybody remember the show Manimal? Any listeners? If they do, email Kate or Tweeter. <laughs> Simon Porkendale, Manimal. Okay. We'll hey, see what every, we can everyone do. direct your emails at Kate. I don't make any of these decisions. If it was up to Simon, I would not even have been here. <laughs> well, and we, we haven't done uh, The Wire. We haven't done The Sopranos. We haven't done Arrested... Well, I guess we can't do Arrested Development But we'll anymore. do Manimal. But Manimal. <laughs> awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, everyone, check out Faulty Towers. Uh, it, it's worth your time. It's so much fun. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.